Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. Is it uh, that time already? It's that time. It's time for some TP sessions. <laughs> TP sessions, <laughs> not toilet paper. Uh, Torah portions. And uh, thank you all. If this is your first time here, uh, welcome. If this is your second or third time here, welcome back. And of course, thank you everybody else who has made this a tradition in your uh, household from week to week. You know, back in the day, years ago, I. I've always wanted to be a missionary for what's well, been some decades now, since the 1900s. Okay, so for you Generation Z people, we're going back to the 1900s. And uh, I committed my life to be a missionary. And at one point, I went to, when I was in my young 20s, I went, to, did a year long missions internship. And the man I interned under was a career missionary to Japan. And he had already been there 20 or 30 years by this point. And he taught me a lot about being a missionary to a culture that was maybe not so receptive. It was very, very helpful. And the way he instructed me to go about my missions work is to not waste a moment of my time going out and trying to convince anyone of anything. Uh, it was always to pray that Yah would send them to me. All right. So let me give you a good example of this. Okay. Let's let's imagine that everybody has, you've got $115. Just I, some random there. You have 115 bucks. You know, you count up your dollars, your your dimes, your pennies, nickels, everything, right? 115 bucks. And you and you go and you pray and you say, I want to, Father, I want this to go towards your kingdom. I want to do something with this. I don't know what, but just what can I use this for? And then lo and behold, within like two days, within a day or two, somebody shows up in your life and they need like $114.50. I mean, it's like right down to the dollar and you're just like, this is incredible. You give it to them, right? And it just works out that way time and again. Well, it's the same way with people and this is how I operate. So what I started doing was, because back then I wanted to be a, uh, a missionary to Islam and I wanted to go move into the Middle East. And I was seriously considering that at the time. This is post 9-11 too. I mean, it was, it was like, it was, heated to tell anybody you want to do that they're look they're looking at you like okay whatever dude uh and so i went to uh, a college campus the one i went to was uh cal state long beach and i went to the quad and i sat there and i prayed for probably about two hours and i just looked at all the students i didn't talk to a single student i looked at them all passed me by and i just prayed that when uh that yah would send me somebody who was ready who was good and ready to uh, receive the message. And lo and behold, amazingly, the Saudi Arabian walks up to me and he says, are you Christian? And I'm like, oh boy, yes, I am. And we went into a, a friendship for about, about a year until eventually, I think he went back to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and he was just answering all, you know, asking all these questions about the Bible. I got to read the Bible with him. And I asked him some time later, I'm like, because this really was on my my mind. I was like, did you go up to anybody else and ask them if they're Christian? He's like, no, you're the only one. I just, I had this, this feeling like I needed to go ask you. So that being said, that's how I operate here at the Unexpected Cosmology. I like to keep to my own lane. I like to uh, just, you know, keep to my research and then show my research with others. And if people invite me to talk about it, I'll talk about it. And so if for whatever reason you have come here, that you've just been drawn here, somehow you ended up here at the crossroads of the unexpected cosmology. Welcome, glad you're here. So let's get right into this. Now, oh, before I do, I need to point out. You can see this blank wall behind me over here. Uh, it, 
<laughs> it's, uh, I don't recommend this. Uh, I, we've had to move three rooms in our house, like completely. So I lost my office space. Now, if you need to figure out why I lost my office space, we live in a three bedroom home. All right. So mommy and daddy get one room and then we have boys that got another room. And for years we thought that'd be it. And I had my own office, but then we had a girl. And so the girl gets the third room. And of course, now my wife is expecting again. We think she's expecting. I mean, all the signs are there that uh, she's going to have a child. Um, you know, we don't take tests or anything like that. We don't go see doctors. We just, you know, when when our daughter Rivka was born, we just, just came out. You know, we had a midwife there. It was great. Never went to a single doctor visit. It was wonderful. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're getting ready for uh, another baby. And I had to move out of my office space. We had to paint the walls. We had to get my sons moved down into there, downstairs. And then we had to move my daughter upstairs and get that room all ready. And now, yeah, my if you were to look into where I'm at, I'm in mommy and daddy's room right now, my new office. It's just stacks of books and boxes and just, it's in a blank wall behind me. So hopefully I'll get this fixed in the near future. Um, that being said, uh, I so wanted to, let me pull this up here. I so desperately wanted to tell everyone a couple, two, three weeks ago that, you know, baby, you know, I wanted to tell everyone we're having a baby when I was given the whole story about how, like, we're going to a single income household. Like we're, we're not going to have two working parents anymore. Those days are done. Right. And, um, my wife, I've never known my wife. Uh, I, we've been married for over 20, 20 22 years now. And that doesn't even include uh, when we were dating or knew each other, you know, back in high school, even in high school, guys, she was the manager at McDonald's. I mean, she, she's always been a very hardworking person and she finally, it's like, yes, she doesn't, she wants to be a, no more job. She wants to be a, a full-time uh, homemaker. And we always, you know, we both worked and we, you know, split up the duties and homeschooling stuff before, but um, you know, it's all changed now. And so, we're at the point where either I do this full time or I go get another job. So uh, last month when I brought out the call to um, to help support and get us going, uh, you guys just poured out your heart. It was amazing. Within really three days, I almost had the fundraiser. Uh, it, it took about a week and I got $8,000 a month is what we're going with. And um, you guys were all wonderful. And I think it's going to hit the fan now where people are like, wait, what? That wasn't a one-time thing? It's like, no, this is like every month, guys. So I want to show you guys. Now, I put this out there like a week ago. You can see this was created uh, seven days ago. And I didn't advertise it. I just kind of put it out there. And three people noticed it was there. Um, I might have made a little note, uh, notes here and there. But uh, I got three donations. Great. I, thank you, everyone, for the three that uh, did that. Um, so we're looking at... So the goals I'm trying to raise this month is 5,700. Why 5,700? Well, my total goal is 8,000, all right? But last last month, it was such an outpouring that we got, uh, was it $2,300 moved over to this month. So there was uh, like 10,000, uh, actually it would have been 9,300 uh, last month because I was just, I started with a number of 7,000, but uh, we rolled over to this month, and so I'm looking. I need five thousand seven hundred dollars to be operable this this month. And um, you know, guys, this is the call. Um, this is it, guys. This is the moment of truth. So, uh, again, thank you all. Also, I just want to point out. I don't want to. I'm sorry, guys. I know this is awkward for those of you who are new here. You're like, oh, the guy's talking about money. 
Um, the, the TUC book club is amazing. And I haven't even included the profit, uh, for February in there. A lot of you guys are signing up there and that is definitely going to influence this. So, uh, that being said, that's where we're at. I need, uh, that's what I need to keep TUC going. Uh, we're about two or three weeks away from me starting to look for another job and I want to be here for a long time. Love you guys. All right, let's get into this tonight. And so, of course, this link is under the, oh, the video, all my videos. You can just uh, pop in there and help out. Uh, uh, also point out, I'm not going over this right now, but uh, later tonight, second uh, late show tonight, we're going over the Torah, the Torah abides Galatians according to the law of Yahweh, a commentary. This is going to be a line for line commentary. Please come by. Please check it out. It's going to be going to be fun. It'll be something to remember. All right. We are in week 20 of our Torah portions tonight, and we're, of course, in Shamawath. That would be Exodus, Exodus chapter 27 through 30, verse 10. Let's uh, look at a recap of last week. Dave came by for a visit, my buddy Dave, and uh, he's, a, he's an amazing dude. Love that guy. And uh, I felt bad. Afterwards, he told me he clocked how much he talked. And I think the show was like two hours and 15 minutes. And he's like, dude, I only talked 11 minutes. I'm like, really? 11 minutes? Did I really talk for two hours and uh, three minutes? I guess I did. So uh, sorry, Dave. But um, yeah, he came by for a visit. So we saw Exodus 25 shifted its focus uh, from social responsibility and restitution laws. And I love, love, love restitution laws. I wish all society was based on restitution laws. Can you imagine if somebody stole your car? And then they have to be your butler. <laughs> they don't go to prison. They have to now work off that. Can you imagine that? Like, think about all the things that you need done on your in your house. You need a new roof. Got it. You need a dock. You know, like you need the sidewalk fix. You need something. That guy stole your car. He's coming and do some restitution. He actually, I think you you know, if you actually uh, applied the law, he'd have to give you like two or three new new cars. You'd have to give you like two or three worth the value. And if he couldn't do that, then you know, then he's in your debt. Uh, love restitution laws. We learned that, and uh, to the we started the construction of the tabernacle, and of course the theme of was offering, giving your offering. I pointed out that the methods of worship will consume fifty chapters of the Torah. Compare that with the two chapters of creation and fifteen chapters dedicated to Abraham. Excuse me, I keep hearing this beep beep beep, and I'm wondering if I can kill this, or else you guys are gonna be hearing it all night. Uh, this is my active crew on Discord. Um, no, I'm just going to keep whatever. You guys are going to just hear some of it. Maybe the microphone will cut it out. We saw the Ark of the Covenant described. I talked about Ron Weiss' discovery, uh, the blood and the importance of atonement. And I, I believe that his discovery is legit. I believe he found the Ark and he really saw the blood of Yahushua HaMashiach on there and that the, we are still covered uh, by the atonement. Uh, the menorah was described. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the menorah tonight and how it applies so importantly to the Torah. Uh, in our current lives today. And then, of course, Dave talked about esoteric stuff in his 11 minutes of talk time. And uh, the wilderness, how, uh, how the, what, the, will, uh, the, hold on, more coffee. How the wilderness, tabo, ta, can't say, the tabernacle points us forward to becoming a temple. And I showed a lot of that, how it was foreshadowing to, you know, or I, I don't know if it was really in foreshadowing because nothing nothing has really changed. I mean, the people were always the temple, right? The bodies were always temples. Um, now, patterns. 
this is what we're going to be looking at tonight and for the next so many 40 chapters. And we saw this last week, Exodus 25, 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. All right. Now, this is one of the, the whole themes of scripture. It's it's not about man going up to heaven. Uh, it's about Allah Hayam or Yahusha Hamashiach, or I could say, I guess I could say Yahuwah and the Ruach HaKadesh coming down to man, right? So we see over here on the left, Yahuwah walked in Eden, that's Eden, with Adam and Chahuah, that'd be Eve. And then, of course, on the right, we see Yahusha walked among the people. So let's look over here at Bereshith chapter 3, and it says, They then heard the sound of Yahuwah Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, walking in the garden in the Ruach of the day. And the man and his woman hid themselves from the presence of Yahuwah Alahayam, the ever-living Alahayam, among the trees of the garden. It's not a great scene, but we get the, the, the gist that in the cool of the day, just like any king would have a garden, he would go walk out in his garden and enjoy it. He was he went out to enjoy it, and it wasn't such an enjoyable walk for him, unfortunately. And then we see over here Yahusha. Uh, of course, you guys know my uh, my conclusions. So, of course, Pamela, who translates this, this is her conclu uh, her conclusions as well that uh, Yahuwah, the Elohim, the God of the Old Testament, is Yahusha Hamashiach. And I'm not talking about the Trinity. Yahuwah, Yahuwah, is not the Father. He was always the Son. So we see, uh, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of Allah Hayam, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man but of Allah Hayam, Yochanan chapter one. Now I need to point this out really quickly that there's this, there's this big notion about all you need to do is believe on his name. That's it, right? It, it, it's just these going, these Greeks kind of ripping this out of context. Yochanan is talking about like, he's, we're going to talk more about this as well in the Galatians study. He is surrounded by the Yahudim who do not believe that Yahushua is Mashiach, right? He's like, like, no, like, Guys, believe on his name, Yahushua HaMashiach. He is the very Yahuwah or Yahuwah, Yahweh, who you claim to be worshiping. So believe on his name. That's the context. It's not saying you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be obedient. It's just those, you know, that's what you're supposed to believe. You are believe that Yahushua HaMashiach is the same entity for who you claim to be worshiping. We see over here on the left, Yahuwah tabernacle among his people. And of course, on the right, the Ruach HaKadosh tabernacles in us. So we see on the left, then a cloud covered the tents of the congregation and the glory of Yahuwah filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, 34. We haven't got there yet in our Torah portions. And in Yochanan, the Gospel of John, it says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians on the right says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of Allah Hayam, and that the Ruach of Allah Hayam dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of Allah Hayam, him shall Allah Hayam destroy. For the temple of Allah Hayam is holy, which temple ye are. All right, so uh, the theme, I think, of the next few weeks, I suspect, is studying the temple, that the layout of the temple is studying Yahuwah's plan for us, right? Because 
his plan was always to tabernacle with us. So here he is building a temple to tabernacle with mankind. And of course, Moshe looked up to heaven and he saw the blueprints of which he was supposed to model. So here we have an example of the menorah, right? Now, I pointed out that uh, this menorah here on the left is, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the one I saw in person in Jerusalem, the, the Temple Institute, which I believe is run by the Sanhedrin, uh, claim this will be the one that they put into, this will be the Temple Menorah if they ever get around to it. That's a side subject. Now, the interesting thing about menorahs, all right, so I'm just taking like an application. We're going to, it's something in the temple. Let's just take something in the temple and apply it to us. Menorahs are congregations or little sanctuaries. When we read this in Ezekiel, I read this last week. Therefore say, therefore say, thus saith Yahuwah Allahayam, although I have cast them far off among the heathen. This is talking about the, the divorce of the tribes. And although I have scattered them among the countries, yet will I be to them as a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. And this is speaking about synagogues unofficially. I mean, we're talking about a congregation, right? The church coming together. Of course, the church existed before uh, Christianity, right? The church goes, the congregation, the, the church goes back to Sinai. So the idea of think about this, think about uh, that our congregation here at the Unexpected Cosmology. Originally, I called this the Diaspora when we met on Sabbath. Uh, I might go back to that, the Diaspora. I really like that, Di the Diaspora of Yasharel. But we are a little sanctuary. We are a menorah. And I'm going to show you an example of that. It's a really neat idea that we're actually a menorah. And so we see this right here in Revelation chapter 2. Until the angel of the or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, so we're dealing with Ephesus specifically. These same things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. All right, what, what's a, it? It's not the Hanukkah menorah, right? We're, we're dealing with the Torah menorah. Like Yahusha Hamashiach, our high priest, is still walking amongst the menorahs. Like, isn't that an exciting thought? And these seven these seven menorahs, I I actually don't know how many there are in heaven. I mean. I take it that these seven are, he's walking amongst specifically seven uh, that he's having a message to at this particular time. And it, it's it's this neat idea that these congregations, there's a manifestation in the material realm up in the spiritual, like the idea that our prayers are manifested up in heaven. It's manifested by, uh, according to third Baruch, in flowers. And uh, the angels go out and collect the flowers. That's really a, a very uh, unique thought. Uh, but we see it in incense as well. And so what if, uh, as a congregation here, there is a menorah that represents us in heaven? All right, just a thought. I can't prove that. I've never been there. Um, well, I, not in this existence, but in my pre-existence, I guess. Anyways, he says, I know, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how that thou cannot bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, dun, 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 uh-oh, and are not and have found them liars. And of course, uh, according if we're to cross-reference that, according to 1 John, who are the liars? Those who say they keep the commands, or that, I'm sorry, they, they who say they know the Father, but they don't keep the, the commands. They are liars. They deceive themselves and the truth is not in them. So we know here that these apostles are actually not keeping the Torah. And has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, 
because thou has left thy first love. You could say Yahuwah or Yahushua HaMashiach. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove thy candlestick, thy menorah out of his place unless you repent. This is a terrifying uh, passage. Now, this right here was one of the big ones. Uh, when I, in years ago, when I went anti-Paul, and I was a part of a movement that went anti-Paul, and the, the I would say the leader of it, uh, you guys, some of you know, he back then it was uh, Christian Truthers. That was the name of the channel. And uh, and we were looking at this passage and going, oh my goodness, this these uh, false apostles, uh, plural, mind you, it's talking about Paul. They rejected Paul. Now, the irony here, the irony about this. Now, just so you guys know, I'm, you know, I'm doing a Galatians study later tonight. I actually don't think this is Paul. And I'm going to give you an example, uh, tell you who I think it is. That it, it actually, this, this can be cross-referenced in Scripture, this very story. Um, nevertheless, the, the sad thing here is that that ministry, Christian truthers, they had a menorah removed. It was removed. It was plucked up and removed. What followed was, is that in the accusations of Paul being a false apostle, a lot of people lost, they left. He says not lost, but left. They left their first love. Why did we come into this movement? Why did we come into the truther movement? Because of our love for Messiah. We loved him so much. We sought the truth. And we started pointing out the truth to everyone. And then we wanted to be obedient. We went into the commands. And then they started, uh, they they went down this path. They lost their first love. And this ministry was completely removed gone that ministry was the church of ephesus um and i don't say that to rag on all i was man i was in the i was in i was <laughs> i was there for the whole thing behind the scenes it was it was bad and i pray that um the, the unexpected cosmology let's what do we call it, the diaspora whatever we call ourselves that this candlestick this manure is not removed plucked up uh let's not lose our first love let's remember why we're here uh, it's our love of Messiah uh, that we are here. Uh, what what He has done for us. We 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 do what we do because He loved us first. All right. Now that incident, particularly here, and I, this is a little bit of a diversion, but I feel like I want to cover this. This comes from Acts chapter nineteen. I believe this is the scene being uh, referred to here. Uh, context is key. This is in Ephesus, and we read this. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of Allah Hayam. That's kind of interesting because uh, he um, he gets accused of not talking about the kingdom much. But for three months span of time here, he's talking about the kingdom of Allah Hayam. But when divers were hardened, and these are basically saying that people's hearts were hardened and they believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude. He departed from them and separated the, the Talmudim, disputing daily in the schools of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of, of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of Yahuwah Yahusha, both Jews and Greeks. And Allahayam wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body went brought, uh, were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs of aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil Ruachoth went out of them, Acts chapter 19, uh, 8 through 12. So I, I kind of suspect because uh, this went on for years, right? And and there's a lot of people here that are hardening hearts. There's probably, there's being a split, there's a movement away. And the people who remain true were the ones who tested the true apostle from the false apostle, right? That 
the ones who are in this case they're saying no yahushua is not the mashiach he's not and then others saying no he is and they're the ones that um and so that that's their first love right and this is what uh yahushua mashiach he threatens he's like i'm going to pull your menorah if you leave your first love right so that's i think the context of that there that's actually described for us in scripture we read this here now we're still on the subject of the menorah just so you guys know for the mitzvah and that means commands essentially for the mitzvah is a lamp torah is light and reproofs that discipline are the way of life so when we read about the lamp we're talking about commands the light in the lamp is the torah it means you're obeying the commands of torah okay so if you want to be a light on a hill a light in a lamp you know obey the commands the commands are the torah and reproofs that discipline are the way of life again yahushua spoke to them saying i am the light and so we can know that the light is the torah he is the torah of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life so we're seeing here he's quoting from proverbs 623 right we, we know that according to Proverbs 6, 23, the light is the Torah. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But we'll have the light of life. And of course, we see that the light in Proverbs leads to life. To the Torah and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Yeshayahu 820. Think about that. If they do not speak according to this word, what word? The Torah. And who is the Torah? Yahushua Hamashiach. He's the light. He's the Torah. He's the way, the life, the the uh, <laughs> the truth, the way, the life, the truth, the life. And it says it is because there is no light in them; they are in the darkness. Sobering thought. Another one from Yeshayahu five twenty. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call the light evil, who think they're in the light but call the Torah evil. Woe to them. Woe who put darkness for light, who put lawlessness for light, who think that they are in the light when they are lawless. They're living in the darkness. And light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Well, what's that a reference to? The blessing and the curse, right? They think the curse is sweetness, and it's not. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudence in their own sight i put i i put wise uh, in green there because we're talking about uh chokma the ruach chokma i'll be talking about her a little bit more uh tonight another one from uh, this one's from yokanan chapter 3 19. well this is uh the john 3 16 uh chapter you know it's funny because uh <laughs> people love to quote john 3 16 they're like john three you know i i think that the 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 polyanity crowd the lawless crowd like they probably invented the term cherry picker like they 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 in, had to invented that term because they love to say oh john 3 16 that's what i believe that's all you need but it's like okay well i do believe john 3 16 but i also believe john 3 17 through 21 what do you think about that they just look at you like what i don't have to believe that it's like well I do. I believe John 3, 16 and all the way through 21. So let's see what it says. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. So we can see what's going on here. Yochanan is writing from the perspective of the Torah. We know that darkness is disobedience to the commands. People living in darkness are lying, saying that they know 
the Father. They know Yahuwah, and they don't because the light's not in them. They don't recognize the light. They think they do. They don't. They're in, they're in total darkness because their deeds were evil. For everyone practice evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that he that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in Allah Hayam. Man, this this verse right here reflects my life this week. You got, a lot of you guys know, man, I I, I did two, a couple interviews uh, this week and I got <laughs> some hit pieces as a result of it. And some people, they hate the Torah. They hate the light. They, they, and it says right here, they, um, they do not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. They don't want to be exposed to the light. Not only do they not want to come to the light, they don't want anyone else to come to the light. They don't want anyone else to come to the truth. And they're going to stand there and try to keep everyone, they're going to try to damn everyone they can. If they're going down into, into Sheol, into the lake fire, they want everyone to go with them. And it's, it's tragic. So here's uh, here's Noel's attempted deductive reasoning right here. Torah is light, and light is Torah. Yahusha is the living Torah, and Yahusha is light. We are light when we keep the Torah. Oh, that's my attempted deductive reasoning. I it took me you know I I was like you know you know it took me a couple of minutes of trying to figure that out, but we'll we'll hand that to the jury see how I did. All right, now. Uh, this is something we'll be talking a lot about probably the Mekilzadek priesthood or the, uh, the Malaka Yazadak or the Mekilzadek priesthood. And right here I put, I drew, you like my heart, I drew a little heart here uh, where the Mekilzadek temple was actually found. Now, up here, way up here, this is like a tilt shift photo. So it's kind of cool. So it's kind of focused in the middle and it's out of focus everywhere else. But that's, as you guys know, the Temple Mount, uh, aka Fort Antonia. I do not believe the temple was actually there on Josephus's, what he claims was the last standing foundation in Jerusalem, which was Fort Antonia. He said that the foundation of the temple is completely destroyed. So therefore, that temple, that uh, that is not destroyed. Yahushua's words are true. I actually think that they put the, they claim that's the Temple Mount just to stick it to Yahushua HaMashiach. I really do. And I think they're trying to get as many Christians to believe that his prophecy didn't come true. Where was the Temple Mount? It was closer over here to the heart. It was on Mount Zion. And what's interesting is that uh, we're looking in the Bible at the story of two priesthoods, one kingdom, two priesthoods. And the exciting thing is that the uh, one would be Levitical and the other would be the Mechilzedek. And the exciting thing about all this is that, guys, the Mechilzedek Temple stood right next to the temple they were side by side all those years uh question which temple did moshe see from sinai the levitical or the mckilzedek one i think that's a good question i personally think he saw mckilzedek the mckilzedek is in heaven i could be wrong about that maybe he saw levitical maybe there's a levitical one in heaven but i think he saw the mckilzedek now this is the floor plan what they found of the uh, mckilzedek temple and uh, the exciting thing about this is that, like, we know that uh, in the abomination that caused desolation, there were unclean animals sacrificed at the temple. Uh, it was a big deal, of course. They, they dug this up. They excavated it. They did not find one unclean animal. They found a lot of animals that were slaughtered here. Not one unclean animal. That is a miracle, guys, that over hundreds and thousands of years, Amongst all the pagan priests that came and went and the different kings and the different conquerors, 
that this was used up until I think Hezekiah's time and not one pig, uh, uh, unclean animal they found there. And you can see here that there was, um, there was an oil press here. We'll be talking about oil tonight. Uh, there was a grain press. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, there was actually, so you can see the raised platform there where they would drain the blood into the pit of the uh, animal up on the raised platform. If I'm not mistaken, there was also uh, a winemaking in here. And I think that's awesome because if Noah, if this is Melchizedek's temple, and I believe it is, then it's very likely that Noah was here. And who was Noah? He was a winemaker. So like my, my nerd um, alarm went off uh, just thinking about, you know, being able to go visit this place and go, oh, man, Noah was here in Shem. Now, this is what we read in uh, Hebrews. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an we have such a high priest who has set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which Yahuwah pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the Torah, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moshe was admonished of Elohim when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. So he's in Sinai. He's making everything according to the heavenly pattern, the Melchizedek pattern. And uh, when it talks about a shadow of that, it is um, the idea of that is that everything we're going to be learning about the temple is there to instruct. It's not just exoteric. It's there to instruct us on an esoteric pattern of our own lives, how we are to live, you know, the how we are to be holy uh, temples uh, to Yahuwah. Now, the idea of a uh, a true tabernacle, and I think it was said that in here. Let me look real quick. Uh, yeah, right here. I actually highlighted the word true tabernacle. And in the Greek mindset, when you when Greek people, Western people hear true tabernacle, they think in terms of true or false. Okay, well, one is true, so the other must be false, right? Now, the other is a, a shadow, right? Um, actually, that's actually very platonic when I think about it, actually. Uh, the idea of the shadow is, is to show that it, it, the idea, like the very fact that we I'm sitting in a chair right now is proof that there is a chair in heaven, right? The very fact that I have a table before me is proof that uh, there is a table in heaven. Yes, I, there's computers too, actually, as you look at movies if you look at uh, uh the apocalypse of abraham that has what i call the first uh, uh science scientific uh science fiction i guess element to it where he actually looks at a a, a moving emotion um movie uh, really interesting anyways a true tabernacle so let's look at the word true because i think you guys are going to enjoy this in hebrew the word for truth is emet now this is the masoretic i didn't ask pamela about the paleo on this it would, uh, probably come up with a different word. And it the word emet, okay, in the Hebrew Masoretic contains the first, middle, and last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you can see it right here. Number one, number 1428 is emet. Really interesting. Indicating that truth encompasses all things and endures from beginning to end. Now, if you remove, if you remove the aleph, that'd be the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet way over here on the uh, the, the right. I guess I need to point opposite stage on camera. Uh, if we remove the left from the word, we are left with met, the word dead. 
Isn't that interesting? Being dead would be the opposite of life, which is Chaim in the Masoretic. Well, get this. The letter Aleph, Aleph is the ineffable letter that represents oneness, Ikad, and preeminent glory of Allah Hayam. Therefore, I don't know why, um, I don't know why I put that little mark there. Therefore, if we attempt to ignore or suppress Allah, Allah Hayam in our understanding of truth, in that we end up with death. All right? That's interesting. That death and 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 uh, and truth are are kind of there together. And we say, uh, and, uh, this is what I was trying to quote earlier, and I totally botched it. Don't you just love being alive? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from me. And of course, we know the way, the truth, and the life. I can source that. It's all Torah. I am the Torah, the Torah, the Torah. The way, the truth, and the life. The way is the Torah. The truth is the Torah. The life is the Torah. Neither pray for ivies. Of, this is where we get into Akkad. I love this prayer. Um, I'm just going to, I think, uh, for lack uh, for time, just read from. I haven't even got to the Torah portion today. It's awful. Uh, read from verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one Akkad. They all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. So the Father and the Son are Akkad. And it's a beautiful prayer that he prays that we will be Akkad. So those who deny his reality, the reality of Yahuwaha, are in a state of spiritual death, in conclusion. There's another deductive argument for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That, there's the word emet, true, lasting, real, eternal. That's just... Some people say platonic arguments are completely removed from scripture. I, that's pretty platonic right there. I mean, agrees with Hebrews. It's just the, the idea that everything down here is a shadow of the, it's a reflection of the trueness up there. Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, called of Allah Hayam, a high priest after the order of the Kilzadek, right? So the, the temple that Moshe was looking at was the Kilzadek model. And hath made us kings and priests unto Allah Hayam and his father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So right there we see in Revelation that that we are going to be Melchizedek priest, or already are. We are a kingdom of priests. We are Melchizedek priests. That's the order that we want to be a part of. And of course, Kepha describes it, the Melchizedek priesthood, uh, like the temple. And he says, you also are living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Adonai through Husha HaMashiach. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about the spiritual sacrifices sacrifices here just because I've talked about so much in the last few weeks, uh, but that's obviously, you know, how we uh, live with each other, um, loving each other according to the law. All right, so let's get right into it. Paleo-Hebrew. Torah portion for the week, and you, even you, will appoint the sons of Yashorel that they take unto you pure olive oil. Already I have to pause. I'm going to finish this paragraph. But beaten out for the light to make the lamp go up continually. So we just talked about the menorah, right? And now we're talking about the oil to light up the menorah. In the tent of meeting outside the veil, which is upon the revelation, Aaron and his sons will arrange him to the face of Yahuwah, the ever-living from dusk to daybreak, and establish ordinance for a time of long duration, 
throughout the circuit of the ages from the sons of Yashorel. Just reading this this week, I don't know if you guys like are are get the just the fear of Yah, but the idea of going to the face of Yahuwah. It's almost like that scene in the Wizard of Oz. Now, you know, obviously the Wizard of Oz is talking about the Demirs, right? The wizard, the, the creator of the material world. Um, the, 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 you know, the evil Demirs, right? And that's not what I'm talking about. But I think about that scene anyways, when they're like trembling and they're going up to the big face there, you know? And uh, that's what I imagine it had to be like going into the presence, the, the very presence of Yahuwah. And just, wow. All right, so the, the key phrase here is, uh, and I put in the, the King James over here, it says, bring thee pure olive oil. And, uh, and Pamela phrased it, that they take unto you. So it's the same thing as bring thee, that they are taking something, the people. This is for everybody, right? This is for Yasharel. Bring thee pure olive oil. Now, up until this point, I, I was counting this up. We see commands, and you shall set bound who Moshe, and you shall make an ark of shit and wood, and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, and you shall make a table, and you shall make a menorah of pure gold, and you shall make the tabernacle, and you shall make curtains of goat's hair, and you shall make boards for the tabernacle, and you shall make a veil for the ark, and you shall make fifty hooks of gold, etc., etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. You shall make appears uh, apparently twenty-two times in just a few chapters of of exodus all right i mean i could be wrong in, the, in that number it, it mentions a lot but then they bring thee appears only a few times in the entire tanakh maybe as many two or three times i don't I, not very much it's kind of hard because sometimes the verbiage changes but 22 in just a few chapters versus the entire tanakh there's only a few that that they bring unto you this means Yasharel, the men of Yasharel have to bring this to you. Okay. And what is it? It's oil, olive oil. Now there's another one here. Uh, the other one uh, is that they bring thee a red heifer without spot. I'm not going to cover that right now because I want to talk about olive oil. And I'm not talking about Popeye. So we see in Leviticus, in Yahuwah has spoken to Moshe, saying, Command the children of Yasharel that they bring unto you pure olive oil there is again beaten for the light what is the light the torah is beaten for the torah to cause the lamps to burn continually all right this is a command i was talking to my wife this week i was convicted i'm like oh my goodness like we need to have like, like this is a command like we need to have all of we need to have olive oil on on hand she's like we have it i'm like oh, no like we need to have like a special jar or something with pure olive oil like just there i mean just never know right just have it. Have it for all the members of the family. Hand it out. Here's our, here's our oil. Well, let's see what we read in Yermiah of Jeremiah. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. This is talking about Benjamin and Yehuda, Levi. What hath my beloved to do in mine house, seeing she hath wrought lewdness with many and the holy flesh is passed from thee. When thou does evil, then thou rejoices. Yahuwah called thy name a green olive tree. So in the past, he's talking about Yasharil. He says, in the past, I called you a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. All right, so 
um he's what are we supposed to do with a fruitless tree we chop it down it's only good for fire this tree is now he set fire upon it i'm taking that to mean he chopped it down in fact he says the branches are broken off but notice what he doesn't say he doesn't say the roots are pulled up all right and that's important so maybe he just uh maybe he just burned the branches right maybe it's just it's like you know like pruning a, a bush back you, you see it every spring right you just the gardeners come and just just you know making an ugly tree it was beautiful and they just take all the branches off for yahuwah of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee for the evil of the house of yasharel and of the house of yehuda which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger and offering incense unto baal don't do that all right, well, let's keep looking at the idea of a tree. We're going to jump forward into Romans and talk more about uh, this, uh, this olive tree and olive oil. For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. So we know right now that Paul is talking about Yermiahu. He's talking about grafting into Yasharel. And he's saying, look, yeah, look, the tree's cut down, but the roots are holy. Why are the roots holy? Because Yahuwah planted it. And if some of the branches be broken off, we just read that, and thou being a wild olive tree, you're off in the diaspora, were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So you don't need to be genetic, right? This isn't about, oh, I'm not a Jew. I don't, this, none of this applies to me. No, it applies to you, either grafted in or you're not, right? Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. This is this is Pauline theology 101 that uh, that you know you have to have fruit, you have to, but you can't boast in anything because it, it the, right here he says the root. Who's the root? It's Yahuwah. He is the he is he planted this tree. He supports you. You're only in this tree because of him. So thank Yah that you're in the tree that you've been grafted in, right? Don't you sit there and you know you know holier than thou right that will say then i mean that, that should cause you to repent to, to seeing that you are you're being saved actively saved like that should cause us to be like hallelujah i repent of what i've done <clears throat> excuse me i need a drink of coffee <clears throat> yeah i'm gonna get to the uh, uh, uh my current understanding here is jumping ahead of me by the way um this is very much a, I feel like this is very much a Michael study tonight. Michael, I, I was, I, I, I made this study in remembrance of you. I'm trying to think like, how would, what would uh, WWMD, what would Michael do? And I'm trying to like source like, you know, all these scripture verses. Um, that will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off and now stand by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if Allahayam spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Work out your work out your faith, your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like stopping proud, stopping haughty. Man, you work this out with fear. Don't be high-minded. And and we're not talking about the absence of love fear. We're talking about a holy fear, understanding how holy, truly holy our Father is. That he, he's not somebody we just we just step all like a doormat, just step all over. I'm gonna just keep sinning. I'm gonna keep transgressing the Torah. He's gonna be cool with that. No, he's not. No, he's not. Work it out with fear and trembling and repent. Pray to him and be like, what am I sinning that I need to repent of? Show me. Show me how I could, you know, 
uh, be more loyal to you, how I could love you better, how I could love my neighbor better. There, before, uh, behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of Allah Hayyam, on them which fell severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. There, boom. For all the people out there that say, oh man, I need to put this in my Galatians study. For all the people out there that say that that Mashiach taught limited grace uh, and that Paul didn't, that's not true. It says right here. He's like, you will be cut off. If you if uh, uh, if you continue in your goodness, good works, goodness, right? The goodness is not just pointing at Jesus, right? And saying, oh, he, he does it all. I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, my, my neighbor's wife is pretty hot. I'm going to go over there, have a affair with her. I'm going to eat some bacon while we're doing it. Like, that's not what he's talking about, all right? Um, he says, like, if you continue in your transgressions willfully, we're talking, like, just to talk about the Ten Commandments. Continue breaking the fourth commandment. Keep doing it. You're going to be cut off. You know, you know, you're doing it. You don't care. You're going to be cut off. That that's Paul's words. That's the Bible's words. It's not mine. It's Yahushua Hamashiach's words as well. He talks about the tree, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For Allah Hayam is able to graft, and that's interesting. He talks you now that right there. You're seeing the connection between belief and, and unbelief and works and evil works. Evil works is unbelief. Good works is belief. This is a great passage, man. This for Allah for Allah Hayam is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted and wert, there's in proper English here. I try to correct uh, correct a lot of the English, but and wert, grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Romans 11. What a great chapter. And of course, Michael, here you go. Um, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This took me years to understand. I mean, I prayed about this for years, probably over a decade. Like, what does this mean? And you ask Christians, they're like, oh, it, it's a reference to the Holy Spirit, right? That's like, okay, kind of. But actually, if you cross-reference uh, what all of what the lamp is, what oil is, what light is, I think we know what this is at this point. So let's read. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Uh, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Remember what the command is. We just read in Torah, you're commanded to bring the oil to burn the lamp. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for themselves. It's kind of an odd uh, idea, if this is just the Holy Spirit, that the wise virgins are saying to go out and buy the Holy Spirit. That doesn't make any sense. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would the wise say that? It can't, it can't be going out and buying the Holy Spirit. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Bummer. The rest. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know, you, you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Matthew, Matthew, chapter 25. 
All right, let's get back into this. The inauguration of the priesthood. And you, even you, bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from the midst of the sons of Yasharel to delegate him richly unto me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abayahwaha, and Alazar, Alazar. You know, I'm going to say this really quickly. I'll have to say this a lot. People, people laugh at me because I, I, but I try, guys. I really am trying. I want to respect these names. I try, but I'm in good hands because who introduced the Torah but Moshe, and who had a speech impediment but Moshe? I mean, that guy was mumble lips, mumble lips Moses. I mean, you know, and you know he bit that hot coal and Jasher and couldn't speak well. So you figure this guy, and I say this respectfully. I'm not making fun of him, but I could even make a meme out of this. Uh, this guy was butchering the names. I, I really, I, unless if there was some like, inter, you know, interact, you know, like interference from Yahuwah, and he's like, no, you pronounce them correctly. Uh, so I feel like I'm in good hands. I try really hard. I'll get better at it, guys. And you will produce by labor kudash garments for Aaron, your brother, for a heavy weight of splendor and for decoration. And you, even you, will set words in order to all the skilled ones of heart whom I will make full with the Ruach Chakamaha. What a beautiful name. And they will, who is the Ruach Chakamaha? We'll talk about uh, her in a moment. And they will fashion Aaron's garments to set them apart to minister unto me. And these are the garments which they will fashion, an ornamented breastplate and an uh, aphod and an upper garment and a woven cotton or linen inner garment, a tessellated turban and a gerbil, a gerbil, and a girdle. And they will fashion kudash garments for Aaron, your brother, and for his sons to adorn him for me. And they will take the gold and the ath tukalath and the ath aragaman and ath crimson worm crimson. We went over those last week. And the finely twisted white with cleverly designed work. All right, so there we have this um, picture here of a lamb with seven eyes. No, AI did not make this, though that's something that AI would make. Uh, I think that little that that I'm a little I might be a little disturbed by the um, it's got like a you know some blood flowing into a cup there. Um, but anyways, let's work with this here. So the seven rule cough of Allah Hayam. Why am I bringing this up? Well, we see right here and the uh that you know this is one of the things when like you're 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 trying to talk to people people ask like well no if you don't believe in the trinity what do you believe in well it's like well there's <laughs> there's seven spirits and and we see that there's and what am i reading from right here this is yeshiah i'm not even reading from a revelation yet and the ruach Yahuwah shall rest upon him the ruach Chakamaha, so there it is, Ruach Chakamaha, we just read about that, that's what uh, set me off, and we see that uh, that's uh, Chokma is the Hebrew word for wisdom, so the Ruach wisdom, and Bina, which is understanding, the Ruach Etza, which is counsel, and Givura, which is might, the Ruach Da'ap, which is knowledge, and Yira, which is fear, of Yahuwah, I'm counting seven spirits there. And shall make him a quick understanding, the fear of Yahuwah, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. 
And that's kind of important to the idea of not judging with our eyes. We'll cover that later. I want to see on topic, though. Uh, so here are the, the seven ruachoth of Allah Hayam. You know, this is because nobody wants to talk about this in church. It's in the Bible, guys. Like, you know, you could hate me for bringing this up, but it's what it says. And we read here in, um, let's see, that these two passages come from Revelation 1.4 and Revelation 3.1. So uh, Yochanan to the seven called out assemblies, which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him, which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven Ruachoth, which are before his throne. Write the greeting there in a letter. You're getting a letter from Yochanan and he's like, greetings, the seven Ruachoth greet you. And one of them would be the Holy Spirit, wisdom, the Ruach HaKadosh. And unto, the, uh, and unto the angel, the called out assembly in Sardis, right? These things says he that has the seven Ruachoth of Elohim, or Allahayam, and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live and are dead. All right. And then we see uh, Revelation 4, 5, again, mention the seven Ruachoth, and Revelation 5, 6, the seven Ruachoth of Elohim. And uh, you guys know I love this passage. I can't state it enough. And uh, actually, uh, the person who introduced me to this chapter and opened my eyes to was Michael. Um, he came over to my house, and uh, I remember. And he was, I was, he sat down on the couch with me, and I was like, he he brought up like, so uh, have you put any thought into the uh, the the ruach hakodesh being feminine? And I looked at him. I said, sell me on it. And he's like, okay. And uh, this is one of those. And I remember like like two or three days later, I'm reading this to like, you know, out loud going, this is amazing. And it says, wisdom shall praise herself and shall glory in the midst of her people. Now, again, this is one of the seven uh, spirits. This is the uh, the very uh, uh, chokma or chakamaha, which we have just seen in the Torah. This is wisdom. Wisdom shall praise herself and shall glory in the midst of her people. So Tabernacle, she is tabernacling amongst the people, the theme of the day. In the assembly of El Elyon shall she open her mouth and triumph before his power. I came out of the mouth of El Elyon and covered the earth as a cloud. I dwelt in high places and my throne is in a cloudy pillar. I alone compass the circuit of heaven and walk the bottom of the deep. In the waves of the sea and in all the earth and in every, in every people and nation, I got a possession. Uh, so she's rehearsing here uh genesis chapter one okay so the ruach of allah in genesis one moving over the water this is uh this is her with all these i sought rest and in whose inheritance shall i abide so the creator of all things gave me a commandment and he hath the, he that hath made me cause my tabernacle to rest there's the theme of the day again and said let your dwelling be in yaakov so she has tabernacled already in Yaakov. Okay, so before, this is before Pentecost, right? This is before when Christianity say mankind was introduced to the Holy Spirit. Like, no, 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 no. She had already tabernacled amongst them, uh, amongst Yaakov, and your inheritance is Yasharel. Uh, your inheritance in Yasharel. So she's saying that when she says that she uh, gets people, gets possession in all the earth, it's because Yasharel goes out to all the earth. He created me from the beginning before the world. And again, remember now, to, to, to you have to be grafted into Yasharel, right? Into the wild olive tree into the uh, the the olive tree that Yahuwah planted. And then you you are in the inheritance of the Ruach HaKadosh. Only then. He created me from, be, be, from the beginning before the world. Hmm, interesting. So now wisdom is... Um, is saying that okay well let's keep reading 
and I shall never fail. In the holy tabernacle I served before him, and so I was established in Zion. And I think that the talking about the Melchizedek uh, temple here. Likewise, in the beloved city, he gave me rest, and in Jerusalem was my power. And I took root in an honorable people, even in the portion of Yahuwah's inheritance. I was exalted like a cedar in Lebanon and as a cypress tree among the mountains of Hermon. And of course, we know that uh, those who meditate upon the Torah of Yahuwah day and night are like a tree planted by the water. I was exalted like a palm tree in Engedi and as a rose plant in Jericho. That's, you know, talking about being a rose plant, it's kind of you know, something maybe a, a, a woman would be into, um, you know. Men don't think about being palm trees or, or roses too much. Um, as a fair olive tree in a pleasant field and grew up as a plain tree by the water. I gave a sweet smell like cinnamon and aspalathus. I mean, you know, men don't usually want to be scented like cinnamon. Just, you know, put that out there. And I yielded a pleasant odor like the best myrrh as galbanum and onyx and sweet storax. And as the fume of frankincense in the tabernacle, as the turpentine tree, I stretch out my branches and my, that's a, that's a really neat thought in the frankincense, the smell of it, the fume of it, and the, uh, that, that that's like the, the, the smell, the fragrance, you know, you know, when a, when a beautiful woman walks in the room, you might smell her fragrance. And that's the, the, the fragrance in the temple of the tabernacle, the Ruach HaKadosh. As a turpentine tree, I stretch out my branches and my branches are the branches of honor and grace. As the vine brought I forth pleasant savor, and my flowers are the fruit of honor and riches. I am the mother of fair love. There it is. Boom. Right. You just got wisdom, identifying, uh, being there, creation of the world, going to the water, mother of fair love. And of course, this is the Ruach HaKadosh. I am the mother of fair love and fear and knowledge and holy hope. I therefore being eternal and given to all my children who are named of him. Now, of course, if you're going to do a sex reversal and say, well, it really means uh, a dude, you know, that's that's some uh, transgendering right there. We don't want to do that. Um, I mean, when people, I, I might got, kind of go with that line, when people accuse me of being a Gnostic for upholding something like Sirach, which was in the King James Bible, I believe, it was in the uh, Apocrypha, uh, be like, no, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not into transgenderism. Uh, I like to keep their revealed pronouns the way it is. She has revealed herself as a woman, a mother. I, I can't say a woman, I guess, a, a feminine, a, a lady, a lady of the court, mother. And certain, um, oh, I'll just go over this real quick, kind of lack of time here. But this is interesting because we talked about the seven, uh, the, the Ruach, one of them was uh, Chokma. And uh, we see here Miriam called Migdal, Miriam of Migdal. She had seven demons in her. I find that really interesting. The only woman I can find, the only person I could find in all scripture that had seven demons in them. And I think it was to offset the seven Ruachoth of Allah Hayam. I really do. I think they're getting some revenge on her. I uh, won't go through all the story here, but this is the uh, story of Asadeth. And uh, she lived in a tower and house, of course, towers like Migdol, right? But it was interesting that she had seven virgins that um, tended to her. And uh, a lot of, of course, I, I believe that Yosef and Aston, that that's a whole different discussion. I just wanted to bring it up today, uh, kind of reminiscing of old times. That was the most uh, amazing book I ever wrote. I, I really enjoyed uh, the writing experience. And I, 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 that's when I really started working, I think, with Pamela, really, for the first time. And we were kind of going over the details together. And um, 
just these discoveries out of how, like Yosef and Asenath appears to be a metaphor for uh, Mashiach and uh, and his woman, who would be a stand-in here. Asenath would be a stand-in here. All right, um, all right. Let's keep reading. So, okay, so clothing. All right, so we're talking about clothing the Levite priest. So I want to go over a theme here because I, I'm trying to show you guys instead of just being ex, uh, uh, exoteric and just looking at you know. Oh, we have to go through these boring chapters about the temple. It's like, no, no, this is some exciting stuff. I mean, this is talking about like these descriptions, guys, of the temple, the makeup of the temple. Everything revolves on us. This is our life today, right? We are the temple. If, we're, if we call ourselves the temple, we should learn about the temple. So clothing in scripture, I present to you uh, this, the next segment of the night. Clothing is a means of deception or praise or salvation in the uh, the Bible. So the first one comes from the Jonathan Targum. This is Genesis 3, 6 through 7. We see here that uh, Samael, the angel of death, convinces uh, Eve to do something naughty. And uh, then we read, And the eyes of both were enlightened, and they knew that they were naked, divested of the purple robe in which they had been created. So Satan, you know, that we all see these paintings and pictures of Adam and Eve being naked. No, they were not. Uh, that's just really weird. I mean, like, start having children. And, I mean, think about, like, people don't think about this practically. Adam and Eve had children, okay? Their children grew up. They're going to get married. They're going to look at women. Are the other women naked? Are they going to find them like sexually attracted? I mean, how does this work? Because then it's like you got the in-laws and they're naked and everyone's coming over for a naked Barbie. That makes no sense at all. I don't know why people keep pushing this agenda. Like they were clearly not naked. Uh, they were naked and knew no shame. And that's in the context of a man should leave his father and mother and, you know, be with one with his wife. They will be naked and know no shame. It seems pretty self-explanatory. In any case, uh, Hasatan was able to slip off their clothes and do the naughty with them, and they found that they were naked, divested of purple robes. All right. Now, I didn't include in here the, well, I kind of did. Look at the next example right here, Jonathan Targum, Genesis 27 through 15. We fast forward to Esau and, and Yitzhak, his father, and Rivka, oh, the name of my daughter. Love to see it spilled on the page. I put, I put her in like every Torah portion just because I like to see her name spilled. And Rivka took the pleasant vestments of Esau, her elder son, which had formerly been Adam's. And, of course, these vestments were the actual skin of the serpent uh, that they were clothed in, which is kind of an interesting thought when we're going to talk about this theme of, uh, of clothing and the different meanings, right? So they had fallen from grace. So now he's clothing them in the very skin of the, the serpent who had fallen from grace. Anyways, um, she takes the clothing, the vestment of Esau. But which that day Esau had not worn, but they remained with her in the house, and with them she dressed Yaakov, her youngest son. And as we know, uh, he then went to his father, and he deceived him with the clothing. So that's a that's a, another sign of deception. We see here in Bereshia 37:31, and they took Yosef's coat. So we know the the context here. This is the patriarchs. The this would be his ten brothers. Uh, Benjamin was not included. And killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they offer this to their father, Yaakov, uh, uh, and they deceive him with clothing. Moving forward to the next chapter, 
And she, it would be Tamar, put her widow's garments off from her and covered her with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place, which is by the way of Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given unto him to wife, as Shelah would be um, uh, Yehuda's other uh, third son. When Yehuda saw her, he thought to her to be a harlot because she had covered her face. So she deceived him with clothing. I'm sensing a theme here. Of course, uh, again, just one more chapter forward. We see Yosef getting in trouble again with another garment. Not that he did anything wrong, but and she caught him by his garment, Potiphar's wife. And of course, it would be Aseneth's uh, mother saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. I don't need to read the rest. We know what happened to him. Clothing just gets people in all sorts of trouble in the Bible. Now, here's an example of praise, actually interesting enough from Mitrim. And I point out this is in Mitrim. Okay. And Pharaoh said to Yosef, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Yosef's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Now, I'm not uh, insinuating here. I don't want to insinuate that this was the Egyptian way, right? The praise, you know, the praise of men. I think it's totally fine that, um, you know, men of honor uh, should, you know, can be clothed uh, nicely, right? I mean, Yosef is not going out and clothing himself like this. He is honored, right? Pharaoh is honoring him and saying, I am, because of your character, because of your virtue, I'm putting you in this clothing. I think this is a good example. We're going to see some negative examples. Another one in Esther, and this has to do with Haman. And you guys know, you know, the story of Esther. So, but this is the king at the end. He says, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? He wants to honor Haman. And Haman thought in his heart, whom would, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king. Actually, um, uh, actually, Haman is the bad guy. <laughs> it's actually Mordecai who is the, uh, the good guy, but uh, whatever. So Haman is actually trying to honor him in his heart, right? And he says, uh, honor himself in his heart. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king is ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hands of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. And of course, it lands to Mordecai, and the rest is history. But kind of interesting. So this is this is how uh, Haman is uh, uh, addressing the issue of glory. Now, to switch this up a little bit, because now we're going uh, to look at uh, Shemuel or Samuel, and he's Shaul has been rejected as king. And so he's going to go and find a new person. We know this is David. And of course, it's the last of the brothers that he looks at. And but Yahweh said to Shemuel, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, stature, because I have refused him for Yahweh does not see a man's face. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Yahuwah looks at the heart. Um, actually, now I think about this. Wait, is this? No, I don't think this is choosing um, uh, Shaul. I think he's been rejected by this point. Could be wrong. I think he's going to get David. Um, but I, what's interesting here is that uh, if my point does stand, uh, David was, um, he was a shepherd. And who else was a shepherd but Moshe? And um, we don't know what Moshe dressed like. He, interestingly enough, he we never picture him like a Levite priest. He was a Levite. He didn't dress like a Levite priest. Kind of interesting. So you kind of see a connection there between David and Moshe. 
see what else do we have here what example is this this is um oh, okay so this is going to be speaking now now we're going to see a negative example of men who dress um you know they dress uh, very lavishly then spoke Yahushua to the multitude and to his Talmudim, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moshe's seats. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. That <laughs> People misconfuse this all the time. So he's saying, look, when the scribes and the Pharisees sit in, Moshe, in Moses' seat, Moshe's seat, what is Moshe's seat? It's in, this, it's in the synagogue. It's when they go sit there. Moshe's seat is when they sit and read the, the Torah. So he's saying, Yahushua's saying, look, when they read to you the Torah, do everything they say. Do what Moshe says, because they're reading from Moshe. But whatever their works are, don't do it. All right, because they're not obeying the Torah. So do what they say, not what they do. But all, um, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all the works they do for to be seen of men, they make broad their uh, phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. So their their tassels are longer than yours. The old Maya, <laughs> uh, my tassels are longer than your tassels. And love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called the men, rabbi, rabbi. So they're going around dressed really nicely and they're going around like, yes, yes greet me here i come you know and now people blow horns as they come and to drop in their their money and they want to drop a lot of it so you can hear it and it ricochets down and you know wow look at these people with their long tassels and their flowing robes but be not ye called rabbi for one is your master even mashiach okay skipping down here uh verse 13 but woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye i love this this is like the theme of my life right now hypocrites for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men for ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in how many people have i encountered recently where you know i'm going on different talk shows or whatever and they're just people are showing up screaming in the comment don't listen to anything this guy says he is leading you to the you know the road of damnation to obey the father right they're not going to phrase it quite like that you know that he's a torah guy you know he's here to deceive you and i was like no this is just what the bible says i'm not deceiving anybody you know they're just it, it, these guys these people have the, the, the letters of paul that's all they have they have the letters of paul against the entire rest of the bible guys that's some cognitive distance right there you're using the letters of paul to disprove the entire bible to say all this testimony, everything that Yahuwah, we call him the Lord if you want, everything that he says, it's no longer true. It's no longer applicable. The, it, you're, you're trying to convince someone that the Bible is true, and you're saying, but don't do what it says. It's not true. And it's like they they try to shut people. They're there to shut people. They don't want to, anyone to hear what I have to say. They're trying to stop them. They want to damn those people because they themselves are not willing to go into the kingdom, and they don't want anybody else to go with them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto white sepulchres, tombs, whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Apparently uncleanness is still a thing. All right. Oh, some modern examples from Babylon. You guys, I thought you guys might appreciate this. Some uh, 
individuals here you might know. I think that's Benedict down there. Um, and uh, dressed quite lavishly. Look at that. Wow. Look, look, I like this picture here. And they're, like, they're holding out <laughs> like a little peacock there. Just look at his beautiful robes, all gold. We're going to hold them out and show, like, look how holy this guy is. Telling you not to obey the Torah. Be disobedient. Be obedient to the laws of Rome. Keep the Sunday. Uh, keep Sunday. Keep going to Sunday. Uh, that was sarcasm, guys. I'm not telling anyone to do that. Arise, O Yahuwah, into the rest, into thy rest, thou and the, the ark of thy strength. We just saw that last week, the ark of the testimony. Let thy priest be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. So I kind of want to focus on this tonight because um, the priests are decked out with jewels. I mean, those breastplates are pretty awesome. Um, and now keep in mind, well, let's just keep reading. So let thy priest be clothed with righteousness and let thy saints shout for joy. So there's, there are examples where Yah just like looks at these people these pompous righteous people they're like you guys are just dead men's bones you're so unclean i can't take it but there's nothing and then he also says don't judge people by their ragged looks like the shepherd the shepherd boy david don't judge them uh but then we see that the priests are clothed with righteousness right for they servants us uh let's see i'll just keep reading okay that comes from psalms uh 132. malachi 2 6 through 9 says this the Torah of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in shalom and equity and did turn away many from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the Torah at his mouth for he is the messenger of Yahuwah of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the Torah. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith Yahuwah of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the Torah. Ouch. Malachi, of course, is the last book of the, um, the Old Testament. And, you know, it ends Malachi with like, do and keep everything according to the Torah. And then you turn the page in the New Testament and you're like, Yes, hallelujah. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> Malachi, we get to Malachi, and uh, by the time you get to Malachi, don't even have to listen to anything Malachi has to say because we've got the New Testament, right? But that's really telling right there. You have not kept my ways. You have been partial in the Torah. Hosea 4, 6 is what I was talking about by knowledge when we had our discussion earlier tonight before this live. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Bummer. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you from being priest for me. Remember we're, one of the themes like the temple, priest. Because you have forgotten the Torah of your Allah Hayyam. I will also forget your children. Now, I, I hear Hosea quoted all the time. People, <laughs> I've had people quote this at me for keeping the Torah. They're like, they, they'll quote Hosea 4, 6. They only, they only do the first half of the verse. They don't show the second half. My my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So apparently I'm destroyed for lack of knowledge because I'm trying to be obedient. Uh, and they, I'm always like, yeah, finish the verse. What does it say next? Oh, because you have forgotten the Torah. That's the lack of knowledge, guys. The lack of knowledge is a forgetting of the Torah. Um, I also will forget your children. Yeshayahu 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in Yahuwah. 
my soul shall be joyful in my Elohim, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride ordain, or, uh, adorneth herself with her jewels. That's kind of cool. So kind of a, it's comparing the, the robe of righteousness and garments of salvation to a bride and groom adorning themselves on their wedding night. That's pretty good. Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb. You see how that flows? I did that on purpose for you guys. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, um, a lot of people, you know, they talk about, I might quote this later tonight, that the that the, the marriage is actually, they say the bride is actually New Jerusalem. And there is a passage in Revelation that says that. I actually think on closer inspection, if we really look at it, uh, I don't think he's actually marrying a city as a wife. And I think New Jerusalem is talking about we are living stones, right? He's marrying the people. He's marrying the, the temple, the people. If you guys disagree with me, that's fine. But that's, that's uh, after years of thinking about that, that's my conclusion. Yeshayahu says, uh, 52.1, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Yerushalayim. I guess, uh, I mean, if, you know, if we're not to read this esoterically, it just point blank, I guess, uh, the, the mountain of Zion and the city of Yerushalayim is supposed to put on a bride's dress, I guess. Uh, the holy city for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that promise still stands or if he took it back. He's like, yeah, I know I told you guys in the past that the the uncircumcised and the unclean would no longer come to you. I take that back. Uh, the, the, the new memo here, you know, is that the they're coming in, the uncircumcised, and the unclean. they're coming in and uh, just going to have to dismiss what I told you earlier. Matthew, Matthew 22, 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I take it this guy is one of those unclean, uncircumcised fellows who uh, snuck in, put on one of those beautiful garments. And uh, yeah. He was not a Torah keeper. He's one of those, those people that, you know, trying to slip in and do the pointing, right? Pointing to his advocate. Lucas, uh, Lucas 24, 49 says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is, of course, the Ruach HaKadosh. And I, I think that that's actually what um, Adam and Chaua were clothed in in Eden was the uh the the, the purple that the glowing radiant uh clothing of the Ruach HaKodesh wow Bible bots going crazy I don't know if you guys can hear that second Esdras 2 uh says this now, this is a beautiful passage I, I love this I just wanted to read this to you guys tonight and this is talking about again the 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 living stones holy priesthood the true temple all right I, Ezra, saw an enormous crowd on Mount Zion. This is the true Mount Zion, all right? Too many people to count. So this isn't this isn't talking about the little tiny Mount Zion they have in Israel, all right? You can count the people on Mount Zion. Like, I don't think you you could take a tally of them. I mean, they were able to count the, the, the number of men at, 
in the wilderness and as well as the Beatitudes, right? So I think this is probably a bigger mountain. I think this is, you know, hidden wilderness um, area. Too many people to count. They were all singing and praising Yahuwah. Standing in the middle of this crowd was a very tall young man, taller than any of the others. He was placing a crown on the head of each person, but he towered above them all. I was spellbound by the sights, and I asked the angel, who are these people, sir? He replied, these are people who have taken off their mortal robes and have put on immortal ones. So Adam and Chihuahua in reverse, right? They put, they took off their immortal robes to, you know, have uh, a little too much fun in the, in the garden, forbidden fun, and they put on their mortal uh, clothing. They have confessed their faith in Allah Hayam, and now they are being given crowns and palm branches as symbols of their victory. And then I asked the angel, who is the young man who is putting the crowns on their heads and giving them the palms? He is the son of Allah Hayam, the angel replied, and all these people confessed their faith in him while they lived on earth. Then I began to praise those who had stood for Yahweh so bravely. All right, so here's another thing I want to go over tonight. Uh, garments of a Roman soldier or the garments of a priest. Because when people, uh, I hear this a lot, you know, from Christianity, put on the full armor of God, right? You got to have the full, every day, you got to wake up, you got to put on the full armor of God. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, like let's dissect this a little bit, you know? It, could it possibly be uh, the, the, the royal priesthood, the temple priest? It's just, Think about this. All right. So let me um, let's read this passage. This is, comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, my brethren, be strong in Yahuwah and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of Allah Hayam, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of Allah Hayam that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt up with truth. Girdle your loins, men. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the bezorah of shalom. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the, of the ruach of the spirit, which is the word of Allah Hayam. Okay, now, so what's often depicted here, people think that he's describing like a Roman soldier. Oh, is he? Or maybe he's just, I don't know, quoting from the Tanakh. So let's just find out. Let's let's look at some random passages in the Tanakh and see if he's quoting from them. And we see, oh, look here, Yeshiahu, Isaiah 59, 17. He says, uh, for put on the righteousness as a breastplate. That's what Paul describes it as. And a helmet of salvation. Okay. Uh, uh, two hits, uh, success. On his head, he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 59, 17. But let's keep reading in Isaiah. We read uh, a few chapters earlier. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feats of him who brings Bezorah, who proclaims shalom. That's exactly what he says. Bezorah of shalom are the feet. And then, of course, you look in Lucas. 2236 and because of course um it says in ephesians the sword of the spirit right well he said to them buy now if you have a purse take it and also a bag and if you don't have a sword sell your cloak and buy one i wonder what he's talking about there the, i'm not you know i'm not 
talking against the gun lovers out there, but it's taken out of context. Clearly, we know what a sword is. When he tells him to go buy a sword, let's find out what a sword is. Because, oh my goodness, Yehoshua HaMashiach is equipped with one in Revelation. It says, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a double two-edged sword. So he didn't just go buy like a switchblade. You know, I mean, he, you, he's got a double-edged, two-edged sword. Like this is this is a badass sword. It comes out of his mouth. Well, that's kind of weird, right? Like he went and bought a sword. He sold his he uh, he sold his cloak to buy a sword that comes out of his mouth. I wonder what that could mean. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of Allah is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, what was the word of Allah when they wrote that? Hmm, I wonder. I mean, right? They didn't have the New Testament yet. Nobody had sent it into the publisher. There was no canon. I kind of think the word of Allah was the Torah. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching too deep into my Bible, but um, yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's keep reading the Torah portion. I'm having fun with this, guys. I, I really am. I, I hope, you know, it, it's, I uh, hope you guys are enjoying this too. All right. Uh, I think we're going to have a long stretch of reading, and I think I need to. I'm going to, I think, hopefully, read through the whole thing. I'll have a few closing comments. And he will exist two shoulder pieces coupled together to him. Toward the two extremities and joined together, the girdle of his aphalad, which is upon him according uh, to the work thereof, he will exist the same. Gold, thukalath, and aragamon, and crimson, worm, crimson, and from white, finely twisted. And he will take two sh uh, shaham stones and engrave upon them the names of the sons of Yasharil. Six names upon the one stone and six names upon the other stone, like their birthing. From the fashion, fashioning of a stone artisan, like the engraving from a seal ring, you will engrave over the two stones the names of the sons of Yasharil in a circuit of gold setting. You will fashion them, and you will set in place the two stones upon the shoulder piece of the um, Afa Wad. And of course, he's talking about the Ephod. Stones of remembrance to the stone to the sons of Yasharil and Aaron will lift up their names to the face of Yahuwah the Everliving. I told you earlier tonight that it really like got to me this week, this idea of the priest going up to the face of Yahuwah. And so now it's like there, you know, like that when we see that the rainbow surrounds his throne, right? So he 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 is reminded daily not to destroy the world with the flood again. That was a covenant he made uh, with Noah, the promise he made. And so now it's this idea that. These stones, which each represent the birth order of the sons of Yaakov and Rachel and Leah and, and Bilha and so on, uh, the four the four mommies, that they are like the, he's looking at these stones, Yahuwah, and he's remembering them. It's just like ah, oh, like this is an incredible scene. Upon his two shoulder pieces for remembrance, and you will fashion settings of gold and two little chains of un unalloyed gold twisted cords you will fashion them and shall gift the inwoven braids upon the settings and you shall fashion an ornamented breastplate of judgment which with cleverly designed work like the work of the ephod you will fashion him gold thukalath and aragamon and crimson worm crimson and white twisted you shall fashion it he shall exist four square double the zaraf let's see what zaraf is here according to um Usually translated as span, this measurement is the width of the hand spread out, terminated by the little finger. 
terminated by the little finger. It's only as long as your little finger. And a zarath the width. And you shall fill it in its settings of stone, four rows of stone. The first row, a red gemstone, a pale yellow gemstone, and a flashing gemstone. And the second row, a nefak, a sapphire, and a hard gemstone. And the third row, lasham, a gat, and a dream gemstone. And the fourth row, a tarshish gemstone. That's interesting, a tarshish gemstone. A shaham and jasper gemstone. They will exist interwoven with gold in their settings, and they shall exist upon the stones and the names of the sons of Yasharel, 12 according to their names, engravings of a seal ring, each man his name upon them. They shall exist for the 12 tribes. And he will fashion on the ornamented breastplate, uh, breastplate little chains of wreathed work from thickly interwoven unalloyed gold. And he will produce by labor upon the ornamented breastplate two seal rings of gold, and he will gift the two seal rings upon the two extremities of the ornamented breastplate. And he will give the two thickly woven cords of gold upon the two seal rings upon the extremities of the ornamented breastplate and the two extremities of the thickly, thickly woven cords. You will gift upon the two settings and gift upon the shoulder pieces of the ephod over the front of his face. And he will fashion the two seal rings of gold and you shall set them upon the two shoulder pieces of the ephod or the athawad beneath the front of his face, over against the joining, from above the cleverly invented girdle of the ephod. And he will bind the ornamented breastplate from the seal rings toward the ephod with a thread of thukala. For existing, uh, for existing above the cleverly invented girdle. And he shall not remove the ornamented breastplate from over the ephod. And Aaron lifted up the names of the sons of Yasharel upon the breastplate of judgment over his heart in coming towards the Ha Kudash for a remembrance to the face of Yahuwah the ever living perpetually. And you will gift toward the breastplate of judgment, uh, Ath Ha Ara, um, Arayam. Let me just see what this says here. Number 18, uh, the lights, the lights. And Ath Ha Thumayam. And they will exist over Aaron's heart in his coming to the face to face Yahuwah. And Aaron lifted up Ath Mashafat of the sons of Yashrael over his heart to face Yahuwah the ever-living perpetually. Now, we just, we talked about here all the different, um, you know, let's look up here. Just let me look real quick. Um, you know, the, the, the Jasper gemstone, the Tarshish gemstone, the, all these different gemstones, right? That they're going to these plates, these ephod that is the 12 tribes, right, that you hold up in remembrance to Yahuwah. Um, it really hit me this week. This is a passage from Ezekiel. We've all heard this before. And um, son of Adam, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, thus saith Yahuwah, Alahayam, thou sealest up the sun full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou has been in Eden, the garden of Alahayam. All right. So right here, people are speculating, is this, is this, you know, who we call Lucifer, right? Is this Satan? Is this the dragon, the serpent? Who is this? Now he's identified as a cherubim. And to me, uh Hasatan, either the dragon, the dragon sounds like a seraphim. I, I don't really hear cherubims described as that, but this is a mystery figure, but well, let's keep reading. All right. So every precious stone was like covering the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the 
turbuckle and gold. What does that sound like? It sounds pretty close to uh, uh, ephod. I mean, it sounds really close. Like this, this was a priest in Eden. This is what Adam later was. Hmm. And it says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. Covereth what? Because we know the two cherubs, cherubs cover the mercy seat. But this is a cherub. This was a top guy. And I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of Allah. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. That was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. And it goes on and on from there. But it says, um, and it, I like the last verse here. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. So this is a future scene from the writing of this book, Ezekiel. And it appears that this entity was still active in that day. So who is this entity? We can all discuss that. But it seemed like he was a former priest. It just kind of stuck out to me there. Well, then we see this in uh, Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. And he carried me away in the Ruach to a great and high mountain. Let me scroll down so you guys can see this. And showed me the great city, the holy, uh, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from Alahayam, having the glory of Alahayam. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Now, once you pay attention, that the names of the twelve tribes uh, are over the gates. And of course, you. All heard this before you know when you go to new jerusalem what gate are you going to enter there's 12 gates you know that you know some of the maybe christians are, are out there be like oh i'm gonna go through the i'm gonna go through the sheep gate right it was like well okay or you know mashiach right but it's like well there's 12 gates 12 tribes which tribe are you gonna belong to that's good question to ask yourself look into that all right, so let's skip down to verse 18. And and the building of the wall of it was ja was, was of jasper, and the city was pure pure, pure gold. Ah, excuse me, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, Chal uh, Chal chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth ceridonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chryso process the 11th a jacinth and the 12th and amethyst and the 12 gates were 12 pearls every every single gate was of one pearl so pointing out here that again we see the same theme with the 12 different uh, gems uh, gold different things like that really really fascinating uh, how this all ties in so again the you know thinking about the the, the levite priests with these ephods that the new jerusalem itself is like an ephod and I saw no temple therein, for Yahuwah, Allah, Almighty, and the Lamb are the temple of it. So that's interesting, right? So how could there be no temple in uh, in heaven or New Yerushalayim, and yet Moshe saw a temple and he constructed one based on that? Something, but that's the whole theme of tonight, right? You know, we are the temple. Really, and it's, so we need to be able to read these and go. How does how do I flesh out this temple back then? How does this relate to me in my life? Okay, let's keep reading. 
I think I can do this, and I think I can get through this in time. And he will fashion upper garment of the ephod entirely of Thukalath, and his mouth shall exist at his at his top, in the middle thereof. A binding shall exist to the mouth in a circuit round about, fashioned from woven work. He will exist for him like the mouth of a collar. He will exit to him that he be not torn. And he will fashion over his hem pomegranates of Thukalath and Aragaman, and crimson worm crimson over the hem in a circuit roundabout, and the bells of gold between them in a circuit roundabout, bell of gold and a pomegranate, a bell of gold and a pomegranate over the hem of the exterior tunic in a circuit roundabout. And he will exist upon Aaron to minister in, and his voice he will hear in his going out that he does not die. And he shall fashion a zayats. Let's see what this is here, because I forget after studying this. A wing or blossom. So uh, where was I? Uh, where was I? Oh, here we are. And you shall fashion a wing or blossom of unalloyed gold and engrave upon it, like the engravings of a seal ring, kudash la Yahweh, set apart unto Yahweh. And you shall place upon it a twisted thread of thukalath, and he will exist upon the turban toward the front of the face of the turban. Thus he shall exist. And he will exist toward Aaron's forehead, that Aaron might lift up the guilt acquired by sinning of the Kudash ones, which make Kudash the sons of Yasharel for all their gifts. And their Kudash ones shall exist upon his forehead perpetually for the delight of them to the face of Yahuwah the ever-living. So I highlighted that. I want you to really focus on that. Uh, that uh, on the forehead of Aaron and sons of Aaron, may lift up the guilt acquired by sinning of the kudash ones, the set-apart ones. Okay, really interesting. I'll, I'll tie that in. I think you guys already know where I'm going with that. Uh, but just the idea that you can, um, you can lift the guilt, you can put the guilt of sin on the, on the forehead of a priest. And then this... Um, and then it says perpetually for the he shall exist upon his forehead perpetually for the delight of them to the face of Yahuwah. You can put the guilt of the sinners of the set apart righteous on the forehead of the priest and he faces Yahuwah. And you shall make checkered work upon the white inner garment and you will fashion the turban of white and the girdle you shall fashion from ver, uh, variegated needlework. And for the sons of Aaron, you will fashion tunics. And he will fashion for them for a heavy weight of splendor and for ornamentation. And he will clothe them, Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him. And he will draw the hand over them and will fill their hand and set them apart that they minister as a priest to me. And again, I just point out, it's really interesting that he never instructs this of Moshe. It's Moshe is to clothe his brother and his brother's sons, but not Moshe. And he will fashion for them white linen breeches to cover their naked flesh. He will exist from the loins even into the thighs, and they shall exist upon Aaron and upon his sons and entering toward the tent of meeting. Or rather, when they approach toward the altar to minister in the kudash, that they do not lift up acquired guilt and so die. This is an established ordinance for time of long duration to him and his seed following after him. And this ha-debar, which you will fashion for them to set them apart to minister as priest to me, take to yourself one young bullock, a son of the herd, and two rams, perfect and entire, blameless, and unfermented bread and uh, perforated, unfermented cakes with oil poured over, and thin cakes of fine wheat flour, you shall fashion them. 
and you will gift them over one wicker basket and you will cause them to approach with the wicker basket and the young bullocks and the two rams and you shall cause Aaron and his ah, I just lost it and you shall cause Aaron and his sons to approach toward the entrance of the tent of meeting and you shall wash them in water and you will take the garments and you will clothe Aaron with the inner garment and the exterior tunic of the ephod and the ephod and the ornamented breastplate and put on to him with the girdle of the ephod and you shall place the turban over his head and shall gift the kudash af nazar and let's see what this is here uh the wing or blossom again okay so and shall gift the wing or blossom over the turban and you shall take anointing oil and pour over his head and anoint him and you shall cause his sons to approach and you shall clothe them with tunics and you you have girded them with girdles Aaron and his sons have bound them up with turbans and he will exist to them the priesthood for an established ordinance age enduring perpetually and you shall fill away the hand of Aaron and his sons going on to chapter 29 keep reading and he shall cause to approach the young bullock to the face of the tent of meeting and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands over the head of the young bullock and you shall slaughter the young bullock to the face of Yahuwah, the ever living, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And you shall take from the blood of the young bullock and shall gift over the horns of the altar with your finger. And all the blood you shall pour towards the foundation of the altar. And you shall take the fat covering, the interior, and that which is redundant over the heavy liver and the two kidneys and the fat which is upon them and burn for an incense upon the altar. And he will burn the flesh of the young bullock and his skin and his excrement. These you shall burn in fire from outside the encampment. He is a penalty. And you shall take the one ram. And Aaron and his son shall uphold their hands over the head of the ram. And you shall slaughter the ram. And you shall take his blood and shall sprinkle over the altar in a circuit roundabout. And the ram you shall cut in pieces into pieces. And you have washed the interior and his legs and have gifted them upon his pieces and upon his head. And you shall burn as incense the whole ram upon the altar. His is an ascending offering into Yahuwah the ever living. He is an uh, acquiescent, excuse me, an acquiescent aroma by fire unto Yahuwah. And you shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands over the head of the ram, and you shall slaughter the ram, and shall take from his blood and shall gift it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the right thumb of their hand and upon the right great toe of their foot and shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar in a circuit round about and you have taken of the blood which is upon the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle sprinkle over Aaron and over his garments and upon his sons and upon the garments of his sons with him he and his garments and his sons with him shall be set apart and you will take from him the ram the fat and the thick fat tail and the fat covering the interior and that which is redundant above the heavy liver and the two kidneys and the fat which is over them and the right leg for his is a ram of inauguration and one round bread and one chala pierced and oiled and one thin cake out of the wicker basket of unfermented bread uh, matzah or matwath which is to the face of Yahuwah. And you shall place the whole over it into the hands of Aaron and into the hands of his sons and shall wave up and down them as a waving to the face of Yahuwah, the ever living. And you will take them from their hands and burn as incense upon the altar as an ascending offering. He is an acquiescent aroma to the face of Yahuwah and an offering of fire into Yahuwah, the ever living. And you will take the the breast of the ram which is aaron's inauguration and wave him as a waving as a waving to the face of yahuwah the ever living and he will exist to you for your portion 
and you shall set apart the breast, the waving, which is waved up and down, and the leg of the uh, heave offering, which is an oblation of the ram of the inauguration for Aaron and which is for his sons. And he shall exist for Aaron and for his sons for an established ordinance for time of long duration from the uh, sons of Yasharel. For it is a heave offering, and a heave offering he shall exist from the sons of Yasharel as an act of sacrifice, their shalom, covenant of wholeness, unto Yahuwah, the ever-living. And the set-apart garments, which are for Aaron, he will exist to him and to his sons following after him, to anoint in them and shall fill their hand in them. Seven days the priest shall clothe himself from his sons beneath him when he comes towards the tent of meeting to minister in the set-apart. And the ram of the inauguration you shall take and ripen his flesh in the set-apart habitation. And Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread which is in the wicker basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they shall eat these by which the expiration for an offender was made to inaug uh, inaugurate the hand to set apart them. But one who has turned aside from the way, he shall not eat of these because they are set apart. And conditionally, any of the flesh of the inauguration be over and above. Or if part of the bread remain until daybreak, then you shall burn the remainder in fire. It shall not be eaten because it is set apart. And like this, you will fashion unto Aaron and unto his sons like all that which I have set up for them. Seven days you shall fill their hand and shall fashion a young, a young bullock as a sin offering each day as redemption for them and as a purification. And you will... Uh, anoint him to set him apart. Seven days you shall atone over the altar and set him apart, and he shall exist. Kudash, Kudashayam, the most set apart. Whatsoever shall touch the altar, he shall be set apart. Man, I'm just going over so many details. I'm like, I'm going to have to hit these next year. I mean, you guys see, like, I tried to cover a lot on the front end, and I'm just going through things on the back end, and it's just so much. And it's all symbolic. I just, I just don't have the time to go over it all. The ritual of the altar. This is that which you shall fashion daily upon the altar. Two lambs, each a son of a year, continually. You shall fashion the one lamb at daybreak, and the other lamb you shall fashion between the dusk. A tenth part of sifted flour or meal poured together in oil, beaten oil, not pressed. A fourth part of a hyan, and for a drink offering, a fourth part of a hyan of wine for the one lamb. Notice how much of the, the, um, the oil is for these sacrifices as well. And I, I take it that this is the oil that, uh, even though Yasharel is bringing the oil for the lamp, uh, I take it that it's being used for these as well. And the um, and the other lamb you shall fashion between the dust, like the gift offering at daybreak, and you shall fashion the libation to her for a soothing aroma by fire into Yahuwah the ever-living as an ascending offering perpetually through the circuit of your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting to the face of Yahuwah the ever-living where he will espouse himself to you, to speak with you there. And I will espouse you to myself there for the sons of Yasharel, and shall set you apart into my heavy weight of splendor. I will set apart the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will set apart Aaron and his sons to minister to me. And I have settled down to dwell in the midst of the sons of Yasharel, and I will exist to them of Alahayam. So there's the, the tabernacling. And they will acquire knowledge for I, Yahuwah, the ever-living, their Alahayah, which brought them forth from Mitzrayim to settle down, to dwell in the midst of them. I am Yahuwah, their Alahaya. All right, I think we have, uh, we're almost to the end. We just got a few more verses here. Chapter 30. 
And you shall fashion an altar, an altar to burn incense of shittim wood. You shall fashion him. And Amaha his length, and an Amaha his width. He shall exist four square, and two Amaha shall be a stature. His horns are of the same, and you shall overlay him with unalloyed gold, the surface and his sides thereof, and a circuit round about. And his horns upon the border of gold, and a circuit round, and two golden seal rings you shall fashion to him beneath the border of his two sides. And they shall exist to house for the separate staves to lift up him by these. And you shall fashion separate staves as shittim wood. And you shall overlay them with gold. And you shall gift him to the face of the veil, which is over the ark of revealed precepts, where I will espouse myself to you there. And Aaron shall offer incense, aromatic spices upon him with daybreaks, with daybreak, and his rightly trimming the lamp upon which he will burn incense. And when Aaron trims the lamp between the dusk, he shall burn the incense perpetually to the face of Yahuwah, the ever-living, from age to age, as a generation circles to the nest. You shall not cause a loathsome aroma to go up upon him and ascending offerings and gift offerings, and you shall not pour out a libation offering upon him. And Aaron shall cover over upon his horns once in a year from the blood of the sin offering for coverings. Once in a year he shall cover over upon him into all generations, Age circling after age, Kudash Kudashayam, the most set apart, it is to Yahuwah, the ever living. Man, Yahuwah is a holy, holy Allahayam, isn't he? I wanted to close on this thought tonight, right on time. I think I did pretty good. That was a long section, a section to read to. And as I mentioned, you know, next year when I go through this again, I'll, I'll look over my notes from this year and go, okay, how can I build on this? How can I touch on these other areas? Because there's just way too much and they used to just cover all of this every single week and you know get get it in detail but i was you know this is related to when the 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 guilt goes on the, the forehead of the priest and that they could face yahuwah and the, the, the sins the guilt of the people of the set apart the holy ones they could face yahuwah and we see this here in first kiva this is totally where he's getting this theology from and of course the difference being that yahushua is a mechilzedek priest he took our sins on himself, just like the Levite priests do. Nothing's changed. It's the same thing. He he took he bore our sins. He took our sins on himself, our guilt, giving his body to be nailed on the tree so that we being dead to sin. Oh, that's a Paul phrase right there. Dead to sin, alive to Mashiach, might have a new life in righteousness. Of course, we know that the Torah is righteousness. So the, the 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 sin the breaking of the torah right we were dead to our sin the sin that's a tra the transgressions we are now dead to the transgressions we now live a new life being obedient being righteous because of our high priest because we know that we put the guilt of our sins on our high priest we put it on there so it means we're not doing it anymore right that that's the idea we don't know yeah I, I think this is pretty standard black and white i don't know why it's so confused and by his wounds we have been made well that's straight out of isaiah all right well going into uh, for those of you who came in last i'm just gonna mention this again um i, I put this out there a week ago uh, i didn't really mention it you guys were amazing uh, to pour out your hearts and um and uh, provide our budget for february for the fundraiser in like three days i almost had it within the seven days i had over and above what i asked for and i rolled that over i you know we're asking for eight thousand a month to keep us uh, functioning 
Um, and you can see I lowered it to 5,700 uh, because I deducted the surplus from last month, right? And I'll do that every month. We can get this down to like, I'm asking for 2,000 a month, 1,500 a month, right? That's the goal. Let's get this down to zero. Let's get it down to zero. And then I could start bringing on more hired help. I could bring on, you know, you guys know my heart to bring on uh, widowed or uh, older divorced women who may have a hard time getting employment elsewhere. And I want to give them a place of cosmology. But uh, a lot of you have been signing up for Patreon. Thank you. That's, of course, monthly repeated. And every at the end of every month, I'm going to take that out and deduct it. So I haven't deducted what you guys have put into Patreon yet. Uh, at least be another thousand down, but please, uh, let's keep this open and operable. Uh, I have so much in me that I want to, uh, to research and get out to you guys and just shepherd people and just bring people to the Torah. Um, so please help me out with this. And uh, I'm going to take a quick break and uh, we're going to start my next study. I've been talk uh, talking to you about it for a month now. Uh, the Torah abides Galatians according to the law of Yahuwah. Uh, Galatians according to the Torah. So here we go. It's going to be a big one. I'm going to uh, quick break, a few minutes. I'll be back on. See you guys there. Thank you, everybody. Uh, good night.